This program is brought to you by Israel Restoration Ministries. What are you doing Sunday nights? Come join Friendship with God radio Bible teacher Tom Cantor of the Friendship with God Fellowship Church every Sunday night at 5.30 p.m. at The Vine at 9336 Abraham Way, Santee, California. Watch and listen live around the world to Tom Cantor Sunday evening on YouTube.com by searching for Friendship with God Fellowship or by going to our homepage at friendshipwithgod.org. That's friendshipwithgod.org. Welcome to Friendship with God with our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor. Today's message and previous messages can be listened to or downloaded for free at friendshipwithgod.org. That's friendshipwithgod.org. You can also obtain free resources from Tom Cantor and view our online bookstore at friendshipwithgod.org or call us at 800-247-3051. That's 800-247-3051. Tom Cantor also has a daily devotional verse that comes out each day by email and on Facebook. To receive this small daily devotional verse that Tom Cantor puts out, you can sign up at friendshipwithgod.org. That's friendshipwithgod.org. Or find Tom Cantor on Facebook by searching for Tom Cantor and Friendship with God. Now, here's our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor. See, a vision that God had cast for the Jewish people of being this royal priesthood. And God said that in Exodus 19.6, you shall be unto me a kingdom of priests. Not just if you're a Levite, but you, the whole the Jewish people, shall be unto me a kingdom of priests, a holy nation. These are the words which thou shalt speak unto the children of Israel. See, God told his people and he tells us, you be unto me a kingdom of priests. You will be unto me. He said, you shall be unto me. That means that when we pray, we're doing that for God. Oh, wait a minute. I thought that when we pray, it's because we got this list right here and everybody here needs us right here on the list of our prayer list. And I thought that's why we're, we're praying because we're in desperate need of prayer. That's why we pray. God says, no, your prayer is a ministry to God. You be unto me. It's what God wants us to do to carry on the work of the great high priest, the Lord Jesus Christ, by being emulators, copiers of him, praying for others. That's what he's doing here for Ruth. He was unto God a priest, praying for Ruth. But there's something else that's very important that Boaz is doing when he prays for Ruth. Boaz is being a very important example before all the people of Bethlehem, before all the Jewish people in Bethlehem. He's changing, Boaz is changing their prejudice of all the Jewish people who are prejudiced against the Moabites. Boaz is showing by his own example how Ruth is not to be the despised Ruth the Moabitess, but Ruth is to be honored and esteemed and held in very high position. Boaz is doing this by his example. And the Jewish people, they needed to have their prejudice abandoned, to see Ruth in a different light of honor and esteem because of what she did and who she was. But how were the Jewish people to abandon their prejudice against Ruth, the Moabites, against the Moabites? 
How are the Jewish people going to come to honor Ruth and to greatly esteem Ruth the Moabitess? How are the Jewish people going to admire Ruth for her great works, for her sterling person? By Boaz. By Boaz. By Boaz showing by example the Jewish people by showing by his own example how Ruth was to be honored and held in great esteem. By Boaz speaking about the great works of Ruth, which he did. By Boaz speaking about the sterling character of Ruth. By Boaz, when he did that, he changed the attitude of the Jewish people towards Ruth, who they despised, and he did it by his own example. Bravo, Boaz. Now, as we see this, we see how Boaz is our teacher. He's our example. He's teaching us how to evangelize the lost. Effective evangelism is to change the opinion of the lost as to who the Lord Jesus Christ is and what he did. Effective evangelism is to convert God-hating lost souls into God-worshiping saved souls. That's what effective evangelism is. How's that done? How's that done? By exactly how Boaz did that for the Jewish people. Lost people are prejudiced against the Lord Jesus Christ. And the most prejudiced people against the Lord Jesus Christ? Jewish people. Jewish people are just like all people, only more so. <laughs> the Jewish people need to abandon their prejudice against the Lord Jesus Christ and come to be converted, to honor him, to esteem him for his great works and his great person. So what's our goal in evangelism? What are we trying to accomplish? What does God want to see a person convert to? What's the most effective evangelism? The most effective evangelism is not a recitation of a catechismic list of points. The most effective evangelism is when we see a lost person honor the Lord Jesus Christ and speak highly of his great works. After all, our goal in evangelism is for people not to adopt a series of doctrines or beliefs, not to just adopt Christianity, not to join a church, not to call themselves Christians, not to just repeat a prayer of accepting Christ as Savior. Our goal in evangelism is to see lost people change and become three things that they are not. When we evangelize, we are looking for three things we want a lost person to become. First, our goal in evangelism is to see people become what the greatest commandment speaks about in Deuteronomy 6.5, thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, with all thy soul, with all thy might. Our goal in evangelism is to see people converted from loving themselves with all their heart, their soul, and their might to loving Jehovah Jesus with all their soul, heart and soul and might. And when the greatest commandment says, thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, soul, and might, that means becoming a lover of God. And so our goal in evangelism is to make lovers of God, lovers of the Lord Jesus Christ. You can't love a person you don't know about. We need to be talking about the Lord Jesus Christ. My, my Ethiopian friend, Temeskin, he was 12 years old. I told you, he was 12 years old when he was adopted by my attorney and, and he came to Washington, D.C. And before Temeskin and his family, before he came, he couldn't, he was in his village, he couldn't read. And a lady 
who, who also couldn't read, came from a church to his animus village there about an hour outside of Addis Ababa, and the lady had this big Bible, almost bigger than she was. In the Bible, there were words. She couldn't read the words. But throughout the Bible, there were pictures to illustrate. And she used the pictures because she couldn't read. She used the pictures to talk about what the Lord Jesus Christ did and how wonderful he is. And from that, from that lady, Pemeskin learned about the Lord Jesus Christ. He became a lover of the Lord Jesus Christ from the pictures and what that lady said. And I knew Tomaskin for about three years until he was 15 when the osteosarcoma cancer finally killed him. But during that time, I had the opportunity to watch him evangelize one of his friends. And Tomaskin didn't talk to his friend about, you know, have to pray this prayer and repeat after me. Tomaskin didn't talk to his friend about accepting Jesus as Savior. Tomaskin talked about how wonderful the Lord Jesus Christ is. And he went on, I still remember, he had this sweet, simple, infectious excitement. And he used to say, do you know what Jesus did then? That's what he used to talk. He says, do you know what he did then? That's effective evangelism. Because only lovers of the Lord Jesus Christ can produce other lovers of the Lord Jesus Christ. And, you know, before we got married, Cheryl's mom told Cheryl, Cheryl, don't lose your head over this fellow. <laughs> the lost can tell if we are a lover of the Lord Jesus Christ by how much we talk about him and how much we honor and love him. The next two things we want a lost person to become are found in what the Lord Jesus said in Matthew 4.10. Then saith Jesus unto him, get thee hence, Satan, for it is written, thou shalt worship the Lord thy God and him only shalt thou serve. See, when the Lord Jesus Christ said, it is written, thou shalt worship the Lord thy God, that describes for us the second thing we want a lost person to become. Our goal in evangelism is to see a lost person become a worshiper of Jehovah Jesus. And when the Lord Jesus Christ said, and him only shalt thou serve, that's the third thing that we want a lost person to become. Our goal in evangelism is to make obeyers of the Lord Jesus Christ, as he said in Matthew 28, 20, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you. Those are the three things. In evangelism, we want a lost person to become a lover of the Lord Jesus Christ, a worshiper of the Lord Jesus Christ, an obeyer of the Lord Jesus Christ. How are we gonna accomplish that goal? By seeing us, by they see us as lovers of him, seeing us as worshiping him, seeing us as obeying him. That's why it's so important to come to the 9.30 breaking of bread service because that's the service that we tell the Lord we love you. See, the 9.30 breaking of bread service is a service in which we tell the Lord we worship you. The 9.30 breaking of bread service is a service in which we come saying, what language shall I borrow to thank thee, dearest friend, for this, the elements, for this, thy dying sorrow, thy pity without end. That's also why it's important for us to use the full name of the Lord Jesus Christ, rather than Jesus, or rather than Christ, or rather than Jesus Christ. The full name of the Lord Jesus Christ is a name really reserved for those who love him, who worship him, who obey him. Because to call the Lord, the Lord Jesus Christ, gives him a special place of honor and esteem. And when the lost see us loving him, worshiping him, honoring him, and esteeming the Lord Jesus Christ by our example, they abandon 
they tend to, the direction is if they, want, they have a better chance to abandon their prejudice toward the Lord Jesus Christ. That's what Boaz did. That's what he did for the people of Bethlehem when he got them to abandon their prejudice against Ruth and change their opinion of the one who became the great-grandmother of Israel's greatest king, King David. So Boaz, before all the people, makes this announcement for the time of the suffering of Ruth was going to come to an end now, and God is going to recompense Ruth for all that she did for her mother-in-law, and God's going to give Ruth a full reward. But there's a little detail in what Boaz said that really shows how much it cost Ruth to lose her father and her mother and her homeland in order to take care of Naomi. That little detail's in the middle of verse 11. Boaz answered and said unto her, It hath been fully showed me all that thou hast done unto thy mother-in-law since the death of thy husband, and how thou hast left thy father and thy mother in the land of thy nativity, and art come to a people which thou knowest not. See, the force of the cost to Ruth is seen when Boaz says this little detail, since the death of thine husband. See, what Boaz is emphasizing here is that in order to take care of Naomi, Ruth, you lost your father, you lost your mother, you lost your country, and when did you do all that, Ruth? Right after you lost your husband, since the death of thy husband. You know, something very strange happens to a person who loses a spouse. There's somehow there's this fear of losing. You know, the... Um, Last week I was speaking to, to a car salesman, a Lexus car salesman. He was telling me about how typical it is for new widows to come in and buy a new Lexus. He was talking about this one man. He worked on the railroad and, and he died and the wife came in and, and uh, had an inheritance. She only had $2,000 a month as a pension, but she bought a $42,000 brand new Lexus ES because you kind of feel like you want something, you know? I mean, I, I remember when, when Cheryl died and a lady from our company came over to help me go through some of her stuff, and we're going through the stuff, and, and she said, okay, well, now let's throw out these used tubes of lipstick and eye makeup, or makeup, and I said, oh, no. <laughs> I said, oh, no, I don't want to lose anything right now. She kind of looks at me strange. She says, okay, I guess we're done. And uh, because when you lose a spouse, you're very sensitive about losing things. And when Boaz says, since the death of your husband, since the death of your husband, you lost your father, your mother, your land, your nativity. He's emphasizing how hard it was for Ruth to go from just losing your husband to now willingly lose your father, your mother, and your homeland. And so he states in verse 11 and 12, he goes right into the prayer. He says, that's on his mind, and he goes right into the prayer, and he says, Lord, I don't even want to speak about Ruth's connection with Israel. I just want to speak about Ruth's, I just want to speak about Ruth's connection to you. Because she has sacrificed everything for her mother-in-law. And right after she lost her husband, she has voluntarily lost her father, her mother, her homeland. Lord, she deserves that recompense. Lord, she deserves this reward of God. And not a, just a partial reward, Lord, but a full reward. Lord, please look. Please look at how Ruth has brought nothing with her, has left everything behind. She's suffered at the grave of her husband. She's suffered at the leaving of the father and the mother and the homeland. And her sufferings didn't end when she got to Israel. But the reality was, is that all these sufferings that Ruth was going through was the greatest experience in Ruth's life. Because that's where she learned the faithfulness of God. And just this last week, Jean, and I went to have lunch with a Hungarian Holocaust survivor who she explained to us 
She was 16 years old when she was in Auschwitz and she said she danced for Dr. Mengele, the angel of death. And she said, she said something I never heard before from, an, from a Holocaust survivor. She said, Auschwitz was the greatest experience in my life. And I said, why was Auschwitz the greatest experience in life? And she said, because that's where she said, that's where she learned not to hate. That's where she said she prayed for the first time. I asked her, what'd you pray? What was your prayer? And after a pause, and I wonder if she was gonna break down or if I had asked the wrong question, she looked at me and she said, I prayed for the Nazi guards. I thought, whoa. I thought, you prayed for the Nazi guards? What did she just say? She's not a believer. And she prays for the Nazi guards? And I asked her what she meant. And she told me, she said, I learned how to feel sorry for the Nazi guards in the concentration camps. She said that she thought, you know, they can starve me, they can beat me, they can torture me, they can gas me, but they can't take my spirit away. And she continued to pray for her Nazi guards. And she learned her greatest lessons in Auschwitz because she learned how not to hate. And she learned to feel the pain of the Nazi guards. And she learned to care for the Nazi guards. And it was from those lessons of learning how to feel the pain of others, how to care, care for others, that made her become the clinical psychologist that she is, who at the age of 88 still counsels patients in her home in La Jolla and is a professor at UCSD, and inspired her daughter to become a clinical psychologist. By the way, our friendship got off to a very rocky start because she was telling me how she does swing dancing, and she's telling me how, how young she looks, as if I can't see her much younger than her real age. And she, because she, she, you know, she, she's telling me she looks so young. Well, Jean had told me that she was 90 years old. And so at lunch, she said it was her birthday. And I said, Mazel Tov, you're 91 years old. <laughs> she gave me such a look and she said, I'm 88. <laughs> it was a little rough. <laughs> but in Auschwitz, she learned to feel the pain of others and learned to care. And the first thing she said to me when I met her, she said, she'll tell me your story. So, you know, I thought, well, that's good. That's what I was waiting for anyway. And so, but I became her patient. And she can't help but ask, you know, how do you hurt? And as I was giving her my testimony on how I came to the Lord Jesus Christ, she told me, you're not a sociopath. And I said, well, I was glad to hear that. All my life I worried whether I was a sociopath. Finally, I find out an expert tells me I'm not a sociopath. And when she told me, Auschwitz shaped her as a person by those three lessons. When she told me that, she put me to shame. She put me to shame because I thought to myself, you know, there's a lost Jewish woman. And she's putting me to shame because I'm thinking to myself, have I learned those three lessons? Have I learned how not to hate? Have I learned how to feel pain of others, how to care for others? And at the end of lunch, while we were walking across the street, I told her, we're going to help each other. And she says, yes, we're going to help each other. And she already had. Muhammad Ghazafi was a lost Muslim. And he knew how not to hate because I was a Jew. He knew how to feel my pain from being ostracized from everybody because I was a Jew. He knew how to care for me by becoming my friend. And those are the th same three lessons she learned in Auschwitz. And those are the th same three lessons that Boaz knew. He knew how to not hate the Moabites. He knew how to feel the pain of Ruth, the Moabitess. He knew how to care for Mo Ruth, the Moabitess. And when Boaz spoke to Ruth, Ruth knew that Boaz knew. He, she knew 
He knows how not to hate me as a Moabitess. He knows how to feel my pain. He knows how to care for me. And that's what she said in verse 13. Thou hast comforted me. See, Ruth said Boaz had comforted her, and Boaz never could have comforted Ruth unless he didn't hate her, unless he felt her pain, unless he cared for her. And Ruth says to Boaz, you comforted me. And for the word for comfort, she uses nacham. She says, you nacham. You comforted me, which is where the word Noah comes from. You shall comfort us in Genesis 5, 29. He called his name Noah, saying the same shall comfort us. People out there, they're hurting. People are hurting. They need comfort. There's no greater comfort than the comfort of the gospel. There's no greater comfort than the comfort the gospel message brings of sins forgiven. That's the gospel message of comfort that God calls us to give to his people. He says in in Isaiah 40, verse 1, Comfort ye, comfort ye, my people, saith the Lord. Speak ye comfortably to Jerusalem and cry unto her. Their warfare is accomplished. Her iniquity is pardoned. See, in the English, it looks like these verses, are. it looks like God is saying, comfort three times. Comfort ye, comfort ye, speak ye comfortably to Jerusalem. In the Hebrew, it's only twice. In the Hebrew, it's only the first two that are nacham, comfort. See, but the second verse where it says, speak ye comfortably, that's not the word comfort. That's not the word nacham. That's the word lev, lev, heart. So it really reads, comfort ye, comfort ye, my people, see, saith the Lord, speak ye to the heart of Jerusalem. You can't comfort someone unless you speak to their heart. And actually, those are the same words that Ruth used in verse 13. Ruth said, thou hast comforted me. She used this Hebrew word, nacham, for comfort. But when she said, thou hast spoken friendly, it's not the word friendly, it's the word heart. Same thing like in Isaiah 40. As you spoke you spoke. So what she's really saying in verse 13, thou hast comforted me for that thou hast spoken to my heart. She knew that he had spoke to her heart. And what did Ruth mean when she said, you comforted me by speaking to my heart? Ruth meant that Boaz had not spoken to her as others did, as Ruth the Moabitess. He didn't even speak to her as distantly related part of the family. At this point, we have to realize that Boaz knows that what Ruth doesn't know. Boaz knows that he's related to her deceased husband. She doesn't know it at this point. But at this point, she doesn't know that. Now, she's going to learn that later from Naomi when she goes back, and, and we'll see that. But at this point in her first encounter, she doesn't know she's part of his family. And what's remarkable is that Boaz doesn't tell her. You and I are kind of kin. We're sort of related. He doesn't say that. You realize that? No. But Boaz knows who she is. Why doesn't he tell her that he's part of her family? Because there's something closer that Boaz and Ruth have in common. And he sees, you know what? We're both under the same wings. In verse 12, the Lord God of Israel, under whose wings thou art come to trust, he says, we're wing pals. (laughs) He says, that makes us closer than family tie. He says, we're under the same feathers. That makes us closer than any family tie. And that's the way it is for us who've come to the Lord Jesus Christ. We, under his wings, trusting in him, we're closer than we are to our own family. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for the example that Boaz is to us this morning and help us to to be like him and to not hate and to learn to feel and to care. 
in Jesus' name. Amen. Another wonderful day studying the Bible with our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor, here on Friendship with God. Don't forget that today's message and previous messages can be listened to and downloaded for free at friendshipwithgod.org. That's friendshipwithgod.org. You can also go online to find free resources from Tom Cantor and our online bookstore at friendshipwithgod.org. You can also find Tom Cantor on Facebook, and you can also go to friendshipwithgod.org to sign up for his daily devotional. Tom Cantor is also the founder of Israel Restoration Ministries. You can visit that website at israelrestoration.org. You can write to Tom Cantor at P.O. Box 711330, Santee, California 92071. That's P.O. Box 711330, Santee, California 92071. Or email Tom Cantor at tomcantor at friendshipwithgod.org. That's tomcantor at friendshipwithgod.org. For more information about Tom Cantor and Friendship with God and Israel Restoration Ministries, call us at 800-247-3051. That's 800-247-3051. What are you doing Sunday nights? Come join Friendship with God radio Bible teacher Tom Cantor of the Friendship with God Fellowship Church every Sunday night at 5.30 p.m. at The Vine at 9336 Abraham Way, Santee, California. Watch and listen live around the world to Tom Cantor Sunday evening on YouTube.com by searching for Friendship with God Fellowship or by going to our homepage at friendshipwithgod.org. That's friendshipwithgod.org. This program was brought to you by Israel Restoration Ministries.